1: and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Braden Happner. Hey, 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 welcome back to the Pure Victory Podcast. Matt and Braden here. So good to be with you. So good to, to just be sharing every week. I have you guys reaching out and, and telling us about the testimonies that, have coming in, that are coming in your lives from the episodes and from different support that you guys are, are receiving in and, and our ministries and it's amazing to see the tribe growing. So so good to be with you, and we're with a special guest today. I've been looking forward to having Doug Balzer on with us uh, for a while. Three and a half years ago, my wife and I—my wife was pregnant, Louise was pregnant—and we just decided, hey, let's let's clean up our soul. Let's be clean and as healthy as possible moving into parenthood. And so we went to a conference called Soul Care, and there are Soul Care conferences all over all over. I don't know, all over the world or all over North America. Uh, at least but there's a it's a powerful book um, soul care and so we went and we met doug and terry and his wife terry who they were leading soul care and we just really really appreciated what they brought and moving out of that conference, Louise and I were so impacted and transformed and we felt so free in our soul from different things that have been plaguing us. And so Doug is really a leader. Um, and, I, and I heard about what Doug was doing before I even met him in that my, my father-in-law was the, uh, the superintendent of the Pentecostal district in, in Alberta. But he would say to me, he'd say, you know, you should really look at what the Alliance denomination is doing in terms of soul care and deliverance and, how they're attacking this. They're really taking charge. And so when I met Doug, it was like, man, Doug is Doug is kind of at the forefront of doing this. And so he's in the district office with the CMA, the Christian Missionary Alliance. And and just today, as we're recording, He's got a really exciting thing going on. He, his second book is launching. It's called "Light Up the Dark: Restoring Healing and Deliverance to Disciple Making." And I know he's got another book to the empowerment pivot. So he's a real leader in this idea of teaching Christians and non-Christians too, but Christians this idea of deliverance and bringing that into disciple making. So we're going to chat about that. And Doug, we're really excited to have you on. So thanks for, being, for thanks for being here. Hey, Matt, Brad, really
2: great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Doug. This is such a, a huge area that I think often even in Christian circles when we talk deliverance and, and oppression, all these different things, it, it's it's not given a lot of airtime, is it? <laughs> Especially from the pulpit. And, and there's reasons for that, I guess. But this maybe isn't something that people have a lot of context for. So we're going to break that down with you a little bit. But maybe just tell us how did you kind of start to get into this area and move in this area in regards to deliverance and spiritual warfare? When did this, when did this become a passion for you and, and a movement that you had in your ministry?
3: You know, I don't know if it's a, it's a real passion uh, for me if you define it as deliverance getting rid of demons because, you know, who wants to be passionate about demons? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes they, people say to me, oh, you're the demon guy. No, I, I hope I'm more the Jesus guy than the demon. Yeah, right. But m- my journey in a, in a real nutshell— is I wasn't looking, 10 years ago, I wasn't looking for more of Jesus. I wasn't even looking for more freedom. I was looking for less internal torment. And Jesus brought me along on the journey and turns out Jesus is way better than we know. And that would be true for all of us. And he, he set me free from a lot of stuff. And I, my wife is 20 years ahead of me on all this sort of thing. She uh, was prayerfully, persistently, and patiently awaiting my freedom. And so she, uh, in terms of effectiveness in deliverance ministry, she would be the light years um, further than I am. And so she helped me a lot, too, and began to incorporate it in teaching and training other people. Because anybody can, anybody can do this. And Jesus said in John 14, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And he did a lot, right? He was a compassionate person. He was holy, et cetera. But there's no more common descriptor of the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels than he healed. The, he proclaimed the Gospel. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. And so, yeah, you know, I've seen children heal the sick. I've seen junior high kids kick out demons. Anybody can do this.
1: Mm. It's an amazing revelation to realize that because we have Jesus, because we have the Holy Spirit, we can do it. And a lot of people don't realize that. But when you were first kind of, you know, wanting less torment in your life, what were some of the things that surprised you? Um, you'd been a believer, but what were some of the things that surprised you about this
3: this soul issue? Well, my emotional world was kind of collapsing. Um, you know, some people might call it a nervous breakdown. I, I, I call it really coming to the end of my rope. and There were uh, thoughts and voices in my head that were persistently tormenting you know, you're not worthy. You you shouldn't be here. You uh, I don't want to quote quote the thoughts because they're not all that appropriate. But you know, I'd lived with those all my life. And it was increasingly wreaking destruction on my life. And I didn't like some of the anger outbursts I'd have in my marriage or with my kids. And I got really desperate and said, Jesus, you've got to set me free from this. This this should not be normal. And and it was a, it was a cry of desperation. Like it wasn't an academic pursuit. No, I wasn't even I want more of you Jesus no I just want right. this to stop. And, the, and the good news is Jesus works with any kind of motivation you've got <laughs> it doesn't right. have to be a desire for him if you just have a desire for less
2: darkness he can help you there too now I love this Doug what you're sharing because I mean I think we all face moments like this where we're maybe it's in our thought life maybe it's in, in certain behaviors that, um, that just come out of that or even in our heart and we don't really know what to do with that sometimes we kind of extend ourselves out into some sort of behavior modification, right? We we try harder. <laughs> we we white knuckle it or try really hard not to be angry or try really hard not to think things. So as you're discovering some of these things, you're calling out to God, what was he revealing to you about this? Because often I think we can go sometimes into the performance game, you know, where we're, we're trying harder and and really that's not working because there's there's deeper stuff going on with oppression or demonic activity or or even just patterns in our life. So Kind of, what was your response as God was leading you? What was He showing you as you cried out to Him?
3: Well, one story that comes to mind, and you know, it wasn't even that many years ago. It might have been only five or six years ago. I was uh, working with a, a spiritual director who I really respected, and and she she suggested that maybe um, I have I would do well to deal with shame in my life. Now, my shorter story is I was uh, given up for adoption, at birth um, adopted to a great home, reunited with my birth mother. Like it's all it's all really good, but. Like a lot of adoptees struggle with rejection and, and those sorts of things. And so she talked to me about this idea of shame that, you know, in, in, in a sense, embarrassed to be alive and uh, unworthy socially. And it resonated with me. And so she said, well, why don't you just command shame out of your life? And at this time, I was leading soul care conferences. But with many of these things, even if you're a so-called expert, uh, you often need someone else to take you by the hand and walk you through matters of the soul. And so, to make the longer story short, I, I rebuke shame in Jesus' name. I command you out of my life. I'm, I'm, I'm an honored son of the living God for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. He loves me. Mm-hmm. And no kidding, in that moment, so six years ago, an ordained minister, I, I was then and am now, I saw and felt a demonic presence leave. And the voice of condemnation has never come back. Wow. And up until that moment, every sermon I've preached, every leadership meeting I've run, every environment I've been in, it's like there was a, this quiet voice that was telling me I shouldn't be there. I shouldn't be at the table. Awesome. It's gone. It's absolutely gone. And it happened in a minute. And, and this is, this is the, the thing that's most surprising. A lot of deliverance can happen quite quickly. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a massive focal point of your life. And there's incredible freedom on the other end of that. But most believers haven't tasted it. And I think there is a, um, a missiological implication. So we pastors, we try to motivate, incentivize, um, encourage, inspire our our people to go and be salt and light and to proclaim the gospel. Yeah, but what if they're not living the gospel? What if they have a, a cognitive understanding, an eternal trajectory altering, but not a deeply transforming? It, 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 I, in fact, I, I I in my book said I, I repent of spiritual abuse, and that is propelling people into the mission field without first kicking out their demonic crap. Jesus never did. Mm-hmm. Jesus never once sent anyone into mission until he first of all cleansed them in their own. Jesus said to them, "You know, as uh, as I have given you, now go and go and give to others. As I've given you, go and give." And what did he? What's the context of what he said there? He in the context of that verse is um, he healed the sick, he cast out demons. So we, we need to train people to do this. And I think it, it, well, the, we have statistics on that now too. It really affects the ability of the church to proclaim the gospel to the world around her because her people are increasingly realizing Jesus is way better than I knew he was. So then you don't have to cattle prod people yeah. to share the light of Christ. They want to because their lives are genuinely transformed. Yeah. And it's not it's no longer the try harder, do harder approach to faith. And quite frankly, in a, in a world where pagan belief is rising and supernaturalism is rising, but the um, spoken message of the gospel has very little credence, the front door that, of the gospel will increasingly be the manifest presence of Christ in the lives of non-believers, expressed through felt peace, through healing, through um, defeat of, of dark presence. And then they'll say, well, what happened there? I've had, I can tell you lots of stories about that. Now, yeah. now, now they want to know who it is that gave them this this momentary peace. They're interested in it. Yeah, we've got it. We've got to incorporate this stuff personally, and then and carry it on, teach others. When, when
1: there's stories like you're talking about, where those voices of condemnation never came back, I've had that experience too, and it's it's so powerful and and really hard to argue with somebody or for somebody that's listening. But but there are people out there who just can't see it theologically or in scripture, like. Like Christians can have demonic oppression. Where is deliverance in here? So what, what are some of the common struggles that Christians have when you're teaching about this stuff?
3: Well, I, I hope I don't offend any of your viewers, but uh, they, they clearly don't have a biblical mind on, on this matter. Because the Bible teaches of a spiritual world. And so, you know, you can, you can view all of Scripture through several sets of lenses. You know, and one of them is it's the kingdom of light. And then the kingdom of darkness comes in, and then it's the kingdom of light that defeats the kingdom of darkness. And this is the Advent season. That's what it's all about. That is the theme of mm-hmm. Advent: come and light up the dark in yes. this season, because we we need you, Jesus. And there's an illegitimate ruler in the kingdom of of dark. So Jesus of darkness. So Jesus in his um forty days in the wilderness, Satan is accompanying him, and. Satan takes him to a high place and says, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Just bow down to me. Because they've been given to me. Why did Jesus not say you're lying? Because he wasn't lying. The whole world is under the control of the devil. That's what it says in 1 John. Right. The whole world is under the control of the devil. First, and it also says in 1 John that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So the, the work of the church is to storm the gates of hell, which is an offensive, not a defensive posture and to rescue that which God loves so dearly, that is daughters and sons, men and women, young and old, and to rescue them from that. So this idea that Christians can't be tormented by demons, there's, there's no place in Scripture that says that. In fact, it's, it's the exact opposite. So where do we get the armor of God from? That's from Ephesians 6. Who is Ephesians written to? The saints at Ephesus. Paul is writing to redeemed Holy Spirit inhabiting people and he's saying to them get your armor on so that you can stand against the schemes of the enemy so clearly the enemy can scheme against believers and then it says in the in ephesians five do not let the sun go down in your anger do not let the enemy have a foothold who's it written to believers so clearly the enemy can have a foothold in a believer's life and i know the classic question is you know what's the difference between possession and oppression The only time those words exit my lips is when I teach they're not biblical words, don't use them. They they aren't. Now, I know a lot of our translations will say a demon-possessed person, and it's a fantastically unfortunate translation into English. Because if you look at the word possession in a lot of our translations, the Greek word is demonizomai, and the root of that is demon. A more accurate word, although it's not a popular word, would be to be demonized. And so I don't, I don't differentiate between possession and oppression. They are not biblical concepts. You cannot find any support for it. It seems to be a, a, an accommodation of what is, what is true. You can be a believer, and the enemy can have a foothold around you. So, what might that might be a, a, a visual aid in that? It, it's as if. I'm speaking metaphorically, uh, maybe. It, it's as if the enemy has his hand grasped around your ankle and is impeding your walk. You know, Peter goes on on this way, too, in, in his his letters. You know, look out, the enemy, the devil. He's prowling around looking for someone to destroy. Who's Peter writing to? He's writing to the brothers and the sisters. You know? right, yeah, right. So, so I, I use the term uh, demonize. That Christians can be demonized. Now, some people say, "Well, wait a minute. Aren't we in the? Uh, don't we inhabit the presence of God? And can't God's presence not tolerate evil?" Well, that's not taught in the Bible either. I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, is accompanied by Satan into the wilderness. Jesus wasn't intimidated by Satan. Our story: Satan approaches the throne room of God to accuse Job. Yeah, yeah no problem with that. So, a, a lot of a lot of these arguments against what the Bible teaches are unfortunate accommodations towards cessationism in other words we don't see miracles happening so we have to build a worldview and a theology that justifies we don't do the works of jesus even though he said whoever believes in me will do the works i've been doing Well, one other one other thing on that there there is a generally um people who traffic in this would, would agree or understand that as it says in first thessalonians you know paul's writing may your whole body soul and spirit be sanctified So if you kind of classify what makes you up, so you have a spirit. If you're a believer, you have a regenerated spirit. That regenerated spirit we know from Ephesians 2, verse 6, is at the right hand of God right now. The enemy can't touch your spirit, can't go after your spirit. But you also have a body, and you also have a soul. He can go after your body, he can go after your soul, but you can't go after your spirit. And so he shows up in physiological issues at times and in soulish issues
2: at times. That's such a powerful teaching, Doug. I mean, I, in a sense, it's, it's always been there with us. It's just, you're right. Like often we, we try to shape things to a worldview, right? And that's not uh, what the Bible calls us to. <laughs> it's uh, the other way around. But I think often when we talk about some of this stuff too, uh, especially Christians, I know growing up too, you get a little bit freaked out by some of this stuff because you hear the word demon, but the, really the teaching of this is so empowering because it, it shows the supremacy of Jesus, the supremacy of his work in our life through the Holy Spirit. These things are powerful, and often we give way too much airtime, or not airtime is the right word, but way too much credence or power to evil or the enemy in the sense that this is scary, right? Fear is associated, so we don't want to touch it. But what God's doing instead is showing you the light of this, the power of this, of, of having that mindset of a conqueror, having a mindset of Christ, and that through um, him, what he does in our lives is so powerful and reaches out to a world uh, just shaped by darkness and covered in that. So how powerful is that? So, you know, what would you say to people like that? You know, cause I think, I think there's a lot of them out there. I've talked to a lot of believers over the years that have maybe have that. I'm not touching that, you know, I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole cause I'm not a, I'm not a deliverance guy or whatever word you use. Right. And so kind of what would you say to people like that um, maybe to help them in their mindset?
3: Well, the, the pursuit is never to be upon the darkness you know yeah. jesus never went demon hunting once right Right. and you know did he kick out every de- demon in first century palestine no mm. did he heal every sick person in first century palestine no did he do what he saw his father doing did he say what he heard his father saying yeah so that that's her posture to, any, to anyone who would say as you mentioned metaphorically there, Brad, yeah, i want to touch this deliverance stuff i would say What makes you so sure it's not touching you? (laughs) For instance, I was some years ago, but I could tell this kind of story many times. I was having a coffee with a pastor in Starbucks and he was really discouraged. And his his mantra uh, was like, man, I I just, I suck. I'm a failure. I I should just pack it in and give up. And so I I did a little bit of diagnosis. So for instance, demons aren't everywhere. They're not omnipresent. Only God is that. Now, 40% of Jesus's miracles in human beings, as opposed to nature miracles like water and wine, 40% of Jesus's miracles had a demonic element that tells us two things. One, most things aren't demonic, but 40% is no small number. So it tells us another thing. A lot of things are. So when I'm in an environment, I'm trying to discern, like, what's the root of this? It could be physiological. This guy could be depressed. It could be a soulish issue maybe he needs counseling or something or it could be demonic and so i i asked him i asked him in the starbucks restaurant some diagnostic questions Uh, so when you when you hear these this voice or say these things you're no good or i'm no good is it i'm no good or is it you're no good is it you should pack it in or is it i should pack it in and he paused and he thought and he goes no it's definitely you're no good you should quit so then i asked because that doesn't mean it's demonic either then i asked him well, did you have a father or a grandfather or an authority figure who spoke words like that into your life? He goes, no, not at all. So then I asked him a third diagnostic question. And he had no theological framework for the demonization of the believer. So I use language that's more accessible to him. I just simply asked him, do you ever wonder if like the power of darkness is just trying to take you out? And I remember it was a Starbucks because you know the floor in Starbucks when you push back the chair, it makes a really awful screeching. That's what he did. He pushed it back wide-eyed and said, how do you know? And I said, well, this time I didn't, but I just had a suspicion. And so I did his deliverance in Starbucks and here's how we did it. I um, invited him to renounce his agreements with those lies. I renounce that I'm condemned. I renounce I'm a failure. Those kinds of things. And then I embrace that Jesus already sees me as worthy, and he already sees me as accepting, and so forth. Now, a lot of soulish kind of ministry stops right there, and people feel better, but that's not enough. Um, it's, it's like if you have a squatter in the basement who's yelling and partying, all you've done is shout it into the basement, be quiet, but he's still in the basement. So then in Starbucks, too, we weren't no one's yelling or screaming. I just said, now spirit of condemnation in this man come to attention. And as one who is seated in the presence of God, I declare that your grounds are gone. Get out of his life now in Jesus' name. And it left. And Holy Spirit, come. And may your ministry of revealing Christ and his identity in Christ now be made manifest. And this guy still tells a story. He trains other people in deliverance now. That voice in his life, it was gone that day. Amazing. It was gone. And it was like a five-minute conversation in Starbucks. So it, it doesn't have to be wild and crazy. It's you know, this this is the gospel. The gospel is not is not merely a cognitive spoken message. It's something to be materialized in the moment. That's why people follow Jesus, not merely because he taught cool things, but whatever he taught would be manifested in people's lives. It's it's both and together.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the things that that people are freaked out about. Is like it's gonna be wild and crazy. And I I don't wanna have this big this big show but i remember i remember talking to you before the deliverance aspect of the soul care conference and just and you were just confident you're like you'll see deliverance and i thought oh but then when it happened like there were people crying there was some you know huge relief or a couple things but it wasn't like really crazy and it's what you're describing is like jesus cares so much for us that he's he's not out to embarrass us he wants to set us free, and I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with. But when you experience it, it's like, oh, you just
3: experience the love of God. Yeah, and, and it can be the the crazier things, but most times it's not. Ninety eight percent of the time, it's it's very tame. Um, but and, but that's that's not an argument for tameness either, because I mean, Jesus was doing deliverance and the kid threw himself into the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I don't I don't want to make some agreement that it has to be tame. Yeah. you're right you know he's not trying to shame people or embarrass people jesus really honors people and so that's the kind of environment we like to like to function in but i I mean i've seen people rip apart a chair with their bare hands i've seen people levitate but those are like the the one or two percent stories right yeah and usually those people uh with the, the real strong manifestations have a probably an occultic hold of some kind right so they they they've often they've they've dove deeply into satanic satanic cult and they've in the sense given themselves over to that
1: and is that something that happens by choice or could that accidentally happen where somebody has an occultic uh, aspect to it
3: most of this stuff happens in an aggregate sense so if somebody has 50 demons it's not likely they all came in at once right you know the enemy is given a foothold and then the lies believed and the behavior comes out of that you know so you know, that's how the enemy, he's, he's seeking to destroy people. And so there's desire,
2: there's sin, there's temptation, there's death. So it, it, it grows. Now that's that. Thanks for sharing that, Doug. Now, I know you were mentioning before we went on to start recording with you here is that you were talking about some of the, the findings you're having with deliverance and some of the impact and some of the results that you're seeing with this. Do you mind just sharing some of that? Because we were really interested, intrigued by that.
3: Yeah. So I, a couple of years ago, completed my doctoral studies out of Nyack Seminary in New York. And and you have to come up with a project for your dissertation. And so the the title of my project was the, the Perceived Effect of Deliverance on 46 Christian Leaders. So in a social science study, anything over 13 or 14, you're getting pretty solid because you're not going to have substantive differences. So it was, a, it was a broad group of people. They all had were Christian leaders of some sort. And it's the only study I know of its kind where uh, scientific methodology was applied to a study like this, and yeah, the the sum total. I'll give you a few stats here, but the sum total of the study is my goodness, Jesus is way better than we know. Like we don't have, we don't have a clue. So let me let me give you just a, a few highlight reels of of statistics. So of the forty six people who experienced this, this would be their perception of the direct result of their deliverance experience, which, by the way, includes yes, kicking out the demonic, but you're not merely being delivered from. You're being delivered to the greater presence of Christ through his cool. spirit. That's, that's actually the fun part. Cool. So anyways, here are some reduced negative realities. 83% felt a marked reduced felt of sense of shame. 78% reduced condemning thoughts. 75% reduced anxiety. Um, 69% reduced drive for perfectionism. So those are those are reduced things. But how about how about the increase? What about increased positive realities? Ninety-six percent sensed an increase in emotional healing. Ninety-four percent increased feelings of internal peace. Eighty-nine percent trained with boldness. So you know what this says. If you want to do the math on this, because um, sometimes people say, "Oh, when's the last time you saw a demonized person?" And sometimes I joke, well, you know, just put me in a group of pastors. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and I say that without, like, I'm, I'm throwing a rock the glass house here yep. because it was me too. But follow my, follow my mathematics. If 83% felt a marked reduction in shame, yeah. to whatever extent my sample group is representative of Christian leaders or lay people generally, people that experience persistent shame, there could be an 83% chance that it may have a demonic root. Or someone who struggles with pr- persistent condemning thoughts, it doesn't mean they're demonized. But if my sample group is representative, there could be a 78% chance that their freedom could come by shining light on tormenting darkness. So why not get after it? You know. So there's 98 metrics there. And, um, and those are high
1: numbers, like 78%, 89, yeah. 94, 96. It's not like 20% of... And we're impacted. That's, those are high numbers, and it's powerful stuff. And so, Doug, this is really good. This is a really, really good intro for, I think, our listeners to, to understand just the foundation of this stuff. But there's more in your book, and it's coming out today. Can you just share a little bit about that? What's in your book? Where can people find it? Uh, the title is Light Up the Dark,
3: Restoring Healing and Deliverance to Disciple Making. The foreword is written by Rob Reamer, who is the author of the Soul Care uh, book and material. And the Soul Care book is a little bit more of a how-to on these matters. And this book fills a different gap. It it fills a gap of if healing and deliverance were so persistent in Christ's time, what was it like during the early church? So I talk about that. And then what about the 1,500 years where it just about evaporated? And what can we learn? and, And how do we do this well and not fall into the predictable ditches? And it talks about this research of the effects of deliverance. And it's, uh, it's interspersed with narratives from about 14 people, their stories within it, which become instructive and then a bunch of recommendations for the church. And yeah, you can find it on Amazon or chapters um, online, et cetera, kind of wherever you can find books online, you can find light up the dark.
1: Amazing. And soul care Conference conferences, just because I was so impacted there in Louise as well. I wasn't sure at the beginning, I said North America or Canada, but where can people find soul care conferences?
3: Yeah, Rob Reamer, who's the author of this, uh, if you go onto his webpage, renewalinternational.org, he has events come uh, all, all the time and he offers us online as well as in person. Um, my wife, Terry, and I, we do lead these maybe six or eight times a year, kind of in more local settings and and you can track those events on my webpage, dougbalzer.com.
2: Awesome, Doug. Really appreciate it. You know, one more thing. I, you have a great podcast. I mean, we want, we want you to plug as much of your stuff as you can because uh, we just appreciate you so much. So uh, what, what's the name of your podcast?
3: Yeah, thanks. That's really kind of you, Brad. So um, yeah, I'm part of an organization called Rekindle.tv. It would be our webpage, Rekindle.tv. And we are developing tools uh, with a team that I serve with to uh, propel the church into multiplying disciples in the empowerment of the Spirit and going beyond the walls of the church those who have uh, the least access to Jesus. So there's lots of tools there, podcasts on all of those subjects, blogs, et cetera.
2: Great. Thanks, Doug. Really appreciate you. And for everybody listening, we're going to have them on again next week. So <laughs> look forward to that because we're going to break down more how... Some of this really plays into uh, sexual addiction, pornography, and some of these other sexual issues. So it's going to be an exciting one. So thanks again for checking in with us. Thanks, Doug, for being here with us this week. And everybody out there, we'll see you next week.
1: Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.